Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, a special edition of the MMQB podcast with Peter King on the life and times of Dick LeBeau. You may have heard of Dick LeBeau. In fact, if you're a football fan, you certainly should have. He's the defensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. He's a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He started 171 consecutive games at cornerback for the Lions which is still an NFL record for durability at that position. And now, entering the 2017 NFL season, LeBeau, who will turn 80 years old the day before the September 10 season opener of the Titans against the Oakland Raiders, LeBeau will become the first coordinator in NFL history to boss a defense or an offense at age 80. It's never been done before, people, and I'm here to tell you today on this podcast exactly why it's happening. So I'll tell you how we're going to do this. As I went on my NFL training camp trip this summer, I brought my paraphernalia with me, and almost everywhere I went, I would record someone for 25, 30, 40 seconds. Just give me your thoughts on Dick LeBeau. What would you want to say? What'd you learn from Dick LeBeau over the years? So I talked to some of his players who played for him, people like James Harrison and Rod Woodson and Carnell Lake. I talked to some of the people who coached with him, uh, like Kirby Wilson, a former running backs coach, like Ken Wisenant and Bruce Arians and Dom Capers. And I talked to people who played against him. Joe Thomas, the great tackle of the Cleveland Browns. Andrew Whitworth, the great tackle of the Cincinnati Bengals, now with the Rams. So you'll hear some of their thoughts sandwiched around 30 minutes of one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had in my two years doing this podcast. But I want to just start with a few thoughts about why I wanted to do this. And the reason is pretty simple. When I started covering the National Football League in 1984... I was a 27-year-old beat writer covering uh, the Bengals in Cincinnati for the Cincinnati Inquirer. And on that coaching staff, Sam White's coaching staff was Dick LeBeau. And at the time, Sam White basically handed him the defense, said, okay, Dick, this is yours. And I, I just watched LeBeau, and very, very seldom 
would he raise his voice? And I remember Paul Brown, who I would watch practice with a lot of days on the sidelines. Paul Brown told me, now, there is a great teacher. And so I've, I've come to think over the years, when you watch Dick LeBeau, very, very seldom do you see him with his veins sticking out. And he just is very calm. He's got, kind of got the demeanor on the sidelines or in the box when you see him coaching. He's got the demeanor of a Belichick type or a Tom Landry type in that he never really screams at a guy. And I think he believes that teaching is teaching, is teaching. <laughs> so as a coach, you're a teacher. And uh, I, I think he has always believed that the way to teach someone, the way to coach someone is to talk to them, not to scream at them. And so that's my first observation. My second observation is that because he has played the game, he's very, very capable of talking to players on their level. And what I mean is, here's a guy who had 63 interceptions in the NFL. So when he was talking to, uh, say, a Ryan Clark, a Troy Palomalu, a Carnell Lake, you know, somebody you know, on his defense, a defense that he coached, he could very simply say to him, hey, listen, guys, I've done this. I know how to do this. And I've also taken a defense and done something totally bizarre with it and won with it and made it the best defense in football. And that is one of the other reasons why I wanted to do this podcast. People need to understand that when Dick LeBeau brought the zone blitz defense to the National Football League in 1984, imagine how revolutionary it was to come in and talk to your players one day and to say, in essence, hey, um, some of you 290-pound defensive linemen, there's going to be maybe three or four snaps in this game where you're going to drop back in coverage, and you're going to cover that running back, or you're going to cover that tight end. And they're saying, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Oh, and by the way, you corners, okay, on the plays where those those nose tackles and defensive tackles and defensive ends drop back in coverage, you guys are going to blitz. You guys are going to take their place. So what LeBeau was trying to do, and he got this, and he'll explain in this podcast how exactly he came to invent uh, or to import the, um, you know, the zone blitz into pro football. And, and I, I think Dick LeBeau always would think, well, why can't we do that? You know, what, is there a rule against it? And I think his imagination has always made his players really, really like him. And finally, before I get into this podcast, the one other thing that I really want to say is that I think what's really cool about LeBeau is that he does not deny the fact that, you know, I, I talked to him in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's 79 years old, verging on 80. And he doesn't hide the, the fact that he knows that eventually, uh, you know, age is going to whittle down uh, his effectiveness, his mental effectiveness. And he knows that he's not always going to have every marble that he was born with. So I looked over at his desk. I was in his office in Nashville at the Titans training facility. I looked over at his desk, and there on his desk are about 35 post-it notes, yellow post-it notes, little ones. Uh, and I look over, and there's things written on all of them. And I said, wow, what, what's that? And he goes, well, that's, that basically, as he said, is his 
sort of, that's how he is surrendered a little bit to age. You know, he doesn't want to forget everything. He doesn't, you know, if he's got a reminder that he wants to make sure he tells his team, or if he wants to remember, hey, listen, after uh, practice today, I got to go meet X and X for coffee at seven o'clock at Starbucks or whatever it is. So he writes everything down. He literally writes everything down so he, he, he won't forget it. And over the years, one of the other things he's done that I think is so interesting is that, you know, he has kept himself physically and mentally fit. Before practice, you'll see him either doing push-ups or jogging on the field before practice. Uh, you might catch him doing a crossword puzzle or doing other mental acuity games uh, in his office or around the facility. Uh, he loves loves, loves all kind of music, including rap. He thinks that, that to stay young, you need to be young. Uh, I mean, this is absolutely incredible, but verging on 80 years old this summer at a golf course in Winston-Salem, he's always been a scratch golfer. He's a nutty golfing uh, guy. He, he loves to play golf. Dick LeBeau this summer shot a 66 at a course in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So I think that uh, I jo you probably joined me in saying, my Lord, I just hope that when I get to be 79 years old, verging on 80, that I can be as sharp and as cool and as productive in my life as Dick LeBeau is. And if you don't even care very much about football, you're headed off for the Labor Day weekend this weekend, and you just want to hear a cool story about a guy who's 79 years old, but he acts like he's 39, you just really need to listen to this Dick LeBeau conversation. I'm going to end this, uh, my little riff, and get into uh, this podcast by basically telling you something that Dick LeBeau told me five years ago just shy of his 75th birthday. And uh, we were talking about uh, how he still can do it after all these years. And I quote, It's a young man's game, but in my heart, I think I still qualify. I'm surrounded by young people, which helps. I don't think about my age that much, but I have made a promise to myself. If I ever feel myself slipping, I'll get out. I promise. But I haven't felt it yet. In my opinion, I think we're seeing one of the cool stories in all of sports. Dick LeBeau has got to try to put a game plan together to stop Derek Carr and Amari Cooper and the great Oakland Raiders offense on opening day. Folks, I'm not betting against them. So let's get into a few tributes to Dick LeBeau from my training camp trip this summer. And then you'll hear from the coach himself. Hi, I'm James Harrison of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I play for Coach LeBeau. I feel like Coach LeBeau is one of the greatest coaches, human beings that there are on this planet. And uh, without him, there is no me. You know, he gave me my first start when uh, he came into uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, I owe everything to him. Hi, this is Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the 49ers. You know, when thinking of Dick LeBeau, I think about one of the best coordinators of all time. You know, what he's meant to our game. And my, my first time as a coordinator was versus Pittsburgh. Um, 
went in with very high expectations to win a game, and we were down 21-0 to within about three minutes. Uh, they stopped us on a fourth and inches on a quarterback sneak on our first drive, and the game was over from then. Um, going against Dick over the years, um, it's been very tough. And it hasn't just been Dick, but that scheme that he put together, everyone's branched off and having to go against you know, Ray Horton, um, Jim Hazlitt, and all these people on different teams. It's, it's been a pain. It's been a pain for the short time that I've been in the NFL. I'm sure it's been a pain for people for many decades with how long he's been doing it. So um, lots of respect for him, and he's as good as it gets. I'm Ken Wisenhunt, offensive coordinator with the Los Angeles Chargers. I coached with Coach LeBeau in Pittsburgh, and I hired him to run my defense in Tennessee. I've known Dick LeBeau for a number of years. He's been instrumental in the game. The zone blitz, way his defenses have played over the years, he's had such a great impact on the league in what he's given, both as a player and a coach. I have so much respect for him as a coach, but where he really loved Dick LeBeau as as a friend. Probably my favorite thing in the world is after we won the Super Bowl in Detroit when we were with Pittsburgh, I got a picture with Coach LeBeau. That's my favorite picture of all time because both of us together, after competing against each other, working with each other, to have that picture, to share that moment with a man that special, unbelievable. Happy birthday, Coach LeBeau. Hi, this is Joe Thomas from the Cleveland Browns, and I played Dick LeBeau when he was coaching at the Steelers 16 times. And my memory of Dick LeBeau is always the great defenses that he had, especially early on in my career. In Pittsburgh, it was impossible to run the ball against him. And uh, he had Troy Polamalu coming down from the secondary, always wreaking havoc. And uh, they just had always the best defense that we ever went against early on in my career. And now my conversation with Tennessee Titans defensive coordinator and Pro Football Hall of Famer, Dick LeBeau. A special edition of the podcast this week because uh, somebody who I've known almost since I began covering football back in Cincinnati in 1984. I'm very privileged to be able to spend some time with him today. And and, uh, as you've heard elsewhere on this podcast, there's a lot of people who think that my guest, Dick LeBeau, the defensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans, is a man well worth celebrating. And I'm doing this because Dick LeBeau, uh, the day before the 2000 17 football season begins on you know in early September is going to turn 80 years old so he'll be the only man in NFL history to be the coordinator of an offense or a defense or a special teams unit that will do so at age 80. Dick LeBeau I really appreciate you joining me thank you. Well, it's good to see you again, Peter. A lot of water over the dam since 1984, huh? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, Dick, um, you know, I mentioned this to you before we started, but uh, I've gone around uh, during my training camp trip this summer and elsewhere and talked to a lot of people who have a lot of nice things to say about you. And what's so interesting about what people say is that it's not just about football, but it's some about life, too. Um, you know, Rod Woodson talking about the night you uh, saying, telling uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers for so long, uh, you know, reciting the night before Christmas to them. So I, I guess I would start by just asking you, why has it been important to you to talk to your players, not just, hey, 
here's how the zone blitz works, here's what we're going to do on Sunday. But why has it been important for you to do other things and to talk to them about life? Well, I made a promise to myself. I wanted to be a coach, and uh, I said if I ever get the privilege of coaching, and it is a privilege, uh, I was going to try to treat the players uh, the way that I wanted to be treated when I was a player. And uh, uh, I I had a a long career, and uh, I was exposed to some wonderful, wonderful uh, coaches and all different coaching styles. And uh, I knew uh, what I thought was the way I wanted to teach. And uh, I knew uh, what motivated me and and what did not. And uh, I was going to treat people the way that I thought I wanted to be treated. And I said at the time, if I ever get to the point where I'm not doing that, I'm not going to coach. And uh, to me, I've always wanted the players to know that uh, my number one interest is in in them getting better and them improving their abilities and them improving their life situation. And uh, I don't, don't, there there was never any preaching. I've never done anything like that. But I've just tried to always let them know that – they're all important to me, each one of them. And uh, I, you know, I never thought too much about it, but over the years, as some of the guys that I've coached come back to me, uh, I sometimes just kind of shake my head. Yeah, I must have done something right. And I, I've been blessed to have the players that I've had, but uh, to have them say some things, I mean, that, that was truly all, all that I wanted to be was their teacher. And uh, somebody that had their best interests at heart. Dick, you started out in the NFL and sort of you have a Hall of Fame career um, as a, you know, as a defensive back, mostly with the Detroit Lions. But you started out your career with the Cleveland Browns, coached by Paul Brown, and it didn't last very long. And I wonder why, in your opinion, when you get out of Ohio State and your first team is the Cleveland Browns, what do you remember about Paul Brown, and why do you think it didn't work for you there? Oh, it was, uh, I can remember like yesterday. It was, uh, you know, for an Ohio boy, it was a dream come true. There was no uh, Cincinnati Bengals. It was the only team in Ohio at that time. And to get uh, drafted by them. But when you think about it, let me just interrupt you. Woody Hayes at Ohio State, right? Yeah. Paul Brown with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. That's Ohio football right there. Yeah. Well, my first coordinator was Don Shula. He's a fairly decent decent, uh, coach. My first – well, it was my second uh, professional coordinator. Uh I played uh, in the All-Star game with Vince Lombardi, uh, uh, George Allen. So uh, I've been exposed to uh, uh, Tom Landry. <laughs> he was coached, he coached the National, but uh, I got to see some pretty good coaches operate. But you, you get drafted by the Browns in 1959 in the fifth round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And you go to training camp, and, you know, today – Almost all draft picks make the team. Either you know, as a, you know, either you make the team or you you're on the practice squad or whatever. 
Was that a culture shock, getting cut by Paul Brown, and why did you get cut? Well, two things. Let me say two things first. There was only 12 teams drafting, so there were 60 players by the time you got to the fifth fifth round. Um, that would be the second round today, so I always <laughs> say I was the second-round pick. Uh, it was it was I'll tell you what it was a shock. Uh, I I grew up in in a very small town, uh, London, Ohio. There's probably 7,500 when I was there. It's probably 10,000 now, so it hasn't changed that much. And uh it was a very athletically orientated uh environment and uh uh I never ever had anyone say, "Oh, we don't want you on our team." You know now, you always had to earn earn this spot and i went to ohio state which was you know it was huge uh, for a small uh, town boy but uh i got to play there and uh went to cleveland and they said we don't want you on the team so that was the first time in my life really that i experienced that first rejection of your life huh uh well in, in an athletic contest <laughs> <laughs> I had plenty of girls tell me they didn't want to dance. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I think we all go through this as we mature and go through life. And uh, uh, probably uh, you grow as much uh, in adversity as in any other situation because you kind of ask yourself, well, what are you going to do now? You know, the guy told you <laughs> we don't want you. <laughs> but uh, they said they probably wanted me, but not right right this minute. Uh Actually, uh, in those days, there were 31 players that made the team and only five defensive backs. And they had a, they had a very good team, uh, an excellent team. Uh, through the 50s, uh, they played uh, the Detroit Lions several times in the World Championship game. And, uh, uh, you know, it was nothing uh, to not quite make it uh, – uh, like today, you go on waivers, and when I cleared waivers, I was claimed by a couple of people and ended up in Detroit, and uh, it turned out pretty good for me. Well, in fact, you still own the Detroit Lions' all-time interception record. You still own the record for consecutive games played by a defensive back in Detroit with 171, um, and that catapulted you to be a Hall of Fame player. And we'll get on to the coaching, but... Dick, I've always thought that people kind of underrated you as a football player. You know, they think, oh, Dick LeBeau, the zone blitz. Dick LeBeau, great coordinator, everything like that. Um, great mind for defense. So what kind of player was Dick LeBeau? Well, he was just a small-town guy that showed up every game and played as hard as he could play. Made some good plays and got beat sometimes, but uh, was always there for the next stamp. Uh, I never talked too much about my playing career other than the 171 straight games. I'm very proud of that. And uh, uh, my teammate for 14 years, Wayne Walker, is, I, I think except for maybe a kicker or something who really doesn't count, uh, we we got the most uh, games played in a Lion uniform. I think Wayne uh, has a few more than me. More than Night Train Lane? Well, Night Train had a great career. He played 14 years also, but a lot of his, uh, it wasn't all with one team. Yeah, right, like right. Wayne and I. How was it playing with Night Train Lane, and what was he like as a teammate? 
Oh, he was fantastic. He was, Night Train was, uh, he was way ahead of his time. He was bigger and faster and stronger than uh, most players on either side of the ball. And uh, playing with him, uh, I was about the only guy on the team that could really understand everything that Night Train said. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I remember one game we were playing, and uh, uh, in those days we only had five defensive backs, so – Somebody had to know how to play all four positions in case somebody got hurt. And then the fifth guy, he he knew, only knew how to play one position. And they, I learned all four of them, and then they, they trained the fifth guy to play my spot. So if anybody got hurt, I would go into that spot, and the fifth back would come into mine, and we'd have some continuity. Well, in this one particular game, one of our safeties got hurt, so I went in to play safety to finish the game. And I was playing beside Night Train, and we were coming out of the huddle, and Night Train said, watch my man, Dick, I'm going to blitz. I said, Night Train, i got a man of my own to watch. He said, oh, he said, the quarterback's not looking over here. At my The quarterback feared him a lot like, like the plague anyhow. He said, I'm blitzing. So he went in and sacked a quarterback, but he told me to watch his man too. I got it tight in. I got it covered. Okay, Night Train. Yeah. I said, Night Train, you're on your own on that one. Dick, who's the best receiver you ever had to cover? I, I never go there. Uh, so many great ones. I mean, you start naming, you know. In, who'd you have the? But let me ask you this: Who'd you have the best battles with? I don't even go there, but I, I'll tell you one thing: Paul Warfield was as good as any of them. Uh, he's a Buckeye too, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But Paul was a glider, and uh, like I. I Covered Bob Hayes, who was a great player, an Olympic 100-meter uh, champion. And uh, when he ran, half the stadium shook because he was so powerful. But as, as a guy trying to run with him, you just had to watch and feel. And you knew when he was opening up, and you knew damn well you better give him some room. But, Paul, you couldn't, you couldn't do that with him because if you took your eye off him for a second, he was already five yards somewhere else. And uh, there was never any – physical exertion seemingly that that this guy's really trying to run hard he's just so smooth and uh, he was he was hard to uh he was hard to cover you covered the world's fastest human bob hayes was I, that i did was that uh it was awesome man was it enjoyable when oh, you had to do it it was fantastic uh i remember uh that was uh, uh we had a uh oh again i'm a Talk about Buckeyes every now and then. I don't know if you knew I went to Ohio State. I heard that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Glenn Davis was a great 400-meter uh, Olympic champion, and uh, he, had, he had been a all-state high school football player at Barberton. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's where he went to, maybe Alliance, but I'm pretty sure he was Barberton. But uh, the general manager asked me if I knew him, and I said, yeah, I know him pretty well. Uh, we, we had become friends at Ohio State. He said, would he want to play uh, football? And I said, well, I don't know. He played, but it's been high school. So anyhow, he did. He played for the Lions a year or two. And uh, getting to work against that Olympic speed really helped me, not only with Bob Hayes, but with all of their uh, really sprint-type wide receivers. And uh, I felt like I knew uh, what I had to do for the, with these guys, and that was give them a little space, you know. But if you watch – if you watch people and play long enough, you get a feel for where they're going. 
and like I say, uh, Bobby Hayes was uh, really, in terms of knowing when the power was turned on, God, he was the most powerful runner I'd ever seen. But it was pretty easy to say, this guy's moving, you know, you better get out of here. Uh, those guys don't give you quite as much trouble as, as like Paul. He was he was like Fred Astaire on football cleats, man. This is the MMQB Podcast. And now a few more tributes for Dick LeBeau. Hi, I'm Rod Woodson, assistant DB coach for the uh, Oakland Raiders. I coached with Dick LeBeau for five years. And one of the things I love about Dick LeBeau, he started a tradition back in 1992 when Bill Coward got there as a head coach. On Christmas Eve, he got up, verbatim recited the night before Christmas with all the sound effects and everything. And nobody knew what was going to really happen. But then when he got done, the whole team just went crazy. We loved him for it. The next day, I can't remember who we played, but we kicked their butts. And that was our tradition for five straight years while Dick LeBeau was there, while I was there. Every Christmas Eve, Dick LeBeau would get up and recite the night before Christmas, one of the best traditions in National Football League history. I'm Mike Pursuta, currently the host of the Steelers Radio Network pregame show, but I've covered the team for print and broadcast outlets in Pittsburgh since late 1986. And Dick LeBeau's stories are numerous, as you might expect. My favorite involved a practice day when it was about 110 degrees or so it felt. And a bunch of us in the media decided to duck in the shadow that was being cast by the cherry picker that was holding up the guy who was filming practice. And it must have looked very odd because Dick LeBeau walked by and saw about 15 guys standing shoulder to shoulder on an otherwise empty field and had a quizzical look on his face. And I said, hey, Dick, you got to understand it's about 20 degrees cooler under here. And he started to nod his head and said, if a man don't use his head, he may as well have two assholes. That's the kind of renaissance man Dick LeBeau was. If you had a Bruce Springsteen t-shirt on, he would give you a few lyrics of Thunder Road. If it was Christmas Eve, he recites the night before Christmas from memory to his team. And oh, by the way, he still does push-ups on the practice field when he's not coordinating the defense. A fascinating guy like no other I've encountered covering the NFL. I'm Carnell Lake with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I used to play for Dick LeBeau when he was coaching here. The very first memory of Coach LeBeau uh, he had just gotten hired here. Uh, it was a staff turnover, and we had a pretty good secondary, and we were kind of full of ourselves at that time. And Dick LeBeau uh, introduced himself. We had our first meeting, and Dick LeBeau was writing some things on the board. And Rod Woodson, who's former Steeler himself in the Hall of Fame, he and I were uh, listening to Dick LeBeau write some things on the board, and we didn't quite get what he was trying to tell us or we didn't believe in what he was saying on the board and we Rod and I looked at each other and we and and uh, remember we had a comment and coach LeBeau said guys I know you don't know me but when you get 62 picks then you can <laughs> then you can talk and we were like well who is this guy and that was our first kind of uh, interaction uh, in the meeting with coach LeBeau and he had 62 picks in the NFL he did and uh, at the time, um, he was very humble. Uh, we liked him from the beginning, but we didn't know who he was. We, didn't have, we had no history uh, of him and his play and how impactful he was, not only as a player, but as a coach. This is Andrew Whitworth of the Los Angeles Rams. I had the honor of playing against Dick LeBeau defenses for nine years with the Cincinnati Bengals. 
And I would say the greatest thing I could say to compliment him is that he did what's the greatest part about sports. He gave every guy a role. He didn't try and trick you. He just taught them how to be the best at the simple job he gave them. And you saw the same defense every week, every single year for nine years. And somehow he was able to get guys to master what they were good at. And they would become good. First you'd see a guy come in and think he had a, didn't, wasn't going to be a player. He'd get in a role. He'd teach him something simple to do. If it was the four-hour, the outside backer. And the next thing you know, you'd see him on ESPN making plays. And that's the greatest tribute I can give to Dick LeBeau is that he kept it simple and just taught men how to just continue to do the same thing day in and day out and be successful. And now back to my conversation with Dick LeBeau. Dick, I want to fast forward and ask you, you're probably best known for the zone blitz. And if you were to talk to somebody about the zone blitz, I remember hearing you talk about it once conceptually. And I thought, who would ever tell a 305-pound defensive lineman, oh, you're going to drop back in coverage on this play, you know, or or, or, or three, 305-pound defensive lineman, because it just seems so preposterous to think about that. And so I just want you to, if you can, tell me why you originally thought that the concept of the zone blitz was a smart thing to do and why it became such a prevalent defense in the NFL. Well, uh, Bill Arnsbarger uh, was uh, coach of the, at Miami, and he, he had begun uh, uh, blitzing maybe four guys from one, one side and based off what the offense did, dropping one, and it was uh, – it was easier to do then because the uh, offensive formations were not as complex and uh, the protection patterns were not as complex. And it was a very good scheme. And football coaches watch each other pretty close. And uh, that that started me thinking that uh, this guy doesn't always have to do this or always have to do that. And years later, uh, I, I had continued messing around uh, with this thought process uh, bill had gone into college uh football and i think he was the athletic director and it, he was down south somewhere maybe in florida you have to you know check the facts right. on this peter I'm, uh but uh i was uh out on the, on a scouting mission uh for the Bengals. i know i was with the Bengals. it was it was in the early 80s and i i always you know if guys that i had any history with or i wanted to say hello i always dropped in and said hello and i I was probably only talking to Coach Arnsbarger about 15 minutes, but told him how much I admired what he'd got done as a defensive coach and uh, some of the various, you know, uh, movement patterns that, that he had started. And he said, well, he said, Dick, uh, I'll never forget this. He said, all I was looking for was a safer way to get pressure. And uh, that sentence uh, – kind of was the the atom that that split for me because uh i had a, a plane flight from, i think he was in florida but i'm not sure about them could have been lsu it might have been lsu but i was going to texas i know that and i had a little bit of an airplane flight and i got the the gal to give me a supply of a cocktail napkins and i started drawing right away uh on on a safer 
a concept of pressure and uh, in in terms of derivation, that's probably where it had its. Why did you say it was a safer form of pressure? Well, blitzes up to that time were all what we call zero coverage, where everybody had a guy and you overloaded the protection by sending an extra guy like a game of checkers. When you get down to where you got one more man than the other guy, if you can just trade off those men, you're going to win because you still got one checker, and that's the object of the game. And that was the way the, most the the max blitzes were uh, at this time. Even I mean, even when I played all all the way up to the eighties, and uh, there was no free safety. There was no no safety net in behind the secondary in case somebody fell down or something or that. Uh, and uh, I said, well, wouldn't it be nice to be able to get that pressure at least from one half of the defense and still keep a free safety where if something went wrong. You could tackle the guy, and we could play the next down. So that was at least – I'm not sure that's what Bill meant, but that's what it focused into my mind right away. Have pressure and still have uh, some uh, freer guys. What did your players say about the zone blitz when you first introduced it? And can you just – for people who don't know what a zone blitz is, can you describe it in 30 words or less? Well, most blitzes are man, where you say you got that guy and you got that guy. And the zone blitz is it starts that way, but they still have an an, uh, an area ability to pass those guys off. And uh, you, you're what you're doing is what used to what you used to cover with four, you're covering with three, so you can keep one guy free uh, to put a safety net back there for everybody. That's that's in numbers. That's pretty much what it was. In terms of the players, uh, the first time we ran it in, in the game competition. You were still coaching in Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it all started in Cincinnati, which I was pretty lucky there because Sam Weiss was the head coach, and Sam was a, very much an innovator. And uh, there's a lot of coaches I'm sure you could uh, come to and say, I want to drop – I want to drop the nose tackle and, and blitz the safety. And, and they'd say, you're not going to do it for me. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sam said, yeah, let's, let's take a look at it. And uh, uh, the first time we did it uh, was in a preseason game. And Archie Griffin is the only man to win a Heisman Trophy uh, twice. He's a Buckeye. And uh, <laughs> he came from a very athletic family. And uh, one of his brothers was Ray Griffin, was a corner, and he was our, our left corner. And uh, first time we did it, the quarterback threw the regular zero blitz, hot read, you know, their safety valve escape. He threw it right to Raymond, and <laughs> Raymond took it 60 yards for a touchdown. And uh, I think it, it got the approval of the players right away, <laughs> as well as the coach. And... Uh, you know, I'm I'm not saying it was a finished product then, but I knew it was, it it probably was going to be okay. Dick, it wasn't only that that players liked. I think the fact that you're willing to be an innovator. I think players like the fact that uh, it was about a little bit more than that for you. And uh, when I was talking to Rod Woodson, your former corner with the Steelers, I think he could have talked about any number of things. But he talked about you right before Christmas, standing up and reciting, "'Twas the night before Christmas, to your team. 
what in the world possessed you to do that? How did you memorize all the words to Twas the Night Before Christmas, and how long have you been doing that? Well, uh, there's more words to that poem than than I thought. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, th- well, the origin of, of that story, uh, that again uh, pretty much happened in, in Cincinnati, but uh, even before that, uh, I was raised... Uh, pretty much by my mom and uh my dad had three sisters and my grandmother uh and uh, I my dad and my brother were male influences in my life but those women were uh, always around uh, all the time and uh they were unbelievably uh, industrious women and uh they we didn't have anything really but it was during the during the war and the times right after the war and nobody had anything you know we were poor but we didn't really know that we had as much as anybody but at christmas time uh you would think we were the rockefellers there there was presents uh, you couldn't get in the in the in my mother's and my grandmother's sitting room because it was just full of a christmas tree and christmas presents and somehow uh, these gals worked uh you know year round and that's what they they made Christmas such a special time uh, for all of us, and I wanted to just really show them that uh, that spirit they passed it on, and I thought, well, what can I do? I said, I know what I'll do. I'll memorize the night before Christmas, and and I'll say it uh, to my aunts and my mom, and uh, that's what I did. When you were a kid, you did that. No, I, I had gotten old enough to realize what they'd done for me, and uh, it was just a way of th- uh, saying thanks to them that I love Christmas as much as they do. Now. So you were, let me just say, ask you this, you are defensive back with the Detroit Lions, and did you do it then or was it later? No, I'm going to say it was, uh, I was, I was playing. Yeah, I was playing ball. I'm not yeah. sure why, because I just did it for the family for, for a long time. And then... Uh, one year, I was—I know this for sure, I was coaching at Cincinnati for this. I said, you know, I do this for my family, and Christmas is such a special time for me. And as I was the defensive coordinator, so it had to be after 84. I said, and these guys are my family too now. I said, I'm going to do it for them. So that, that was the first time I did it. And uh, the head coach said, well, I heard you, I heard you said the night before – Christmas to the defense and I, I said yes I did he said well I want you to do it for the whole team and I said okay that was Sam yeah Sam said that so, no it was uh yeah it was Sam yeah. it was Sam Sam White I said yeah yeah I'll do it so that's where it started and then uh uh at Pittsburgh uh Bill just said uh, it, you know Bill by that, Cower by that time most people n- knew that that I did that at Christmas time and uh he said, I want you to do it for our guys. And uh, I think it became uh, a little bit of a bigger thing there in Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't know why, but it just did. Why do you do it, really, still to this day? Do you do it to honor your family? I'll tell you, the the thing is, yeah, for sure, to honor, to honor those women. But uh, over the years, as I've... Uh, interacted with players that I've coached and now I'm in a, at a station in my coaching career 
that I've coached about six kids of players that I've coached, which I'm pretty proud of, actually. But invariably, if I see a player that I haven't seen for five or six years, something of that nature, the first thing out of their mouth will be, Coach, are you still doing the night before Christmas? And I thought to myself, man, I didn't realize that thing had that kind of impact at all on these guys. Because it was really and truthfully, Peter, for me, (laughs) you know, I was just saying saying the poem for me and and celebrating Christmas for me. And uh, over here, Coach Mike has has let me continue to do it. But uh, I don't do it for them. I do it for me. (laughs) I love it. So you've done it now for about 33 years. Yeah, I, I remember this. It took me a, a couple of years to learn it because it would always be at Christmas time that I'd be moved to learn the poem. And uh, I know I was still playing because I was putting together dollhouses and rolling sk- roller skates and stuff like that, you know. And step 565 is open this flap. and <laughs> it, One year is not enough if you're going to have a, a couple of libations while you're putting together those toys and learning that poem. Yeah. So. You roughly got it. You got well, it. it's 33 years, I guess, as a coach, but clearly you did it many years before that as well. So I did it for the yeah. family, yeah. Yeah. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. And now a few more tributes for Dick LeBeau. I'm Dom Capers, defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. I had the good fortune of meeting and working with Dick LeBeau in 1992 on Bill Cowher's first staff with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We uh, roomed together for the first three, four months, as most coaches do when they come in and they're new. And So uh, had dinner together a lot. Uh, I can tell you this, that uh, Dick's probably had a cheeseburger, okay, uh, every day of his life. He's one of my favorite people. Uh, you know, very intelligent. What he's done in, with this game of football, I don't know if it's been done before, to think about the amount of years that he's been in the NFL as a player, a coach. Uh, he's an amazing guy, what he's been able to accomplish and the impact that he's had on so many people. Uh, I consider him a mentor. Uh, feel very fortunate to have worked with him and uh, have great, great admiration for Dick LeBeau. My name is Kirby Wilson. I'm the running back coach of the Cleveland Browns. I coached seven years with Coach LeBeau in Pittsburgh, and I want to give a great message and a great memory of Coach. First of all, happy 80th Blitz Day, Coach LeBeau, and I hope that you have many more blitzes to come. My great memory of Coach LeBeau is him always, always having a smile on his face and singing some Johnny Cash in the locker room every day. Happy birthday, Coach LeBeau. I'm Bruce Arians, head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I had the great honor and pleasure of working with Dick LeBeau for eight years in Pittsburgh. If there was ever a more energetic coach in this league, I don't have never met him. He is the most innovative. I mean, he changed the game. He has made the quarterback play in this league unbelievable how much you have to study because of his zone blitz schemes and what he's done for the game of football. He's drastically changed the way people play defense in this league for the last 20 years. Hi, this is Mike Zimmer, the coach of the Minnesota Vikings. I had the opportunity to compete against Dick LeBeau uh, when I was in Cincinnati. Um, We always had great games with them. Their defenses were always tough, physical, aggressive. But you know, the thing I remember most is when I was in Dallas and we were playing, we actually played them in the Super Bowl, we were struggling a little bit defensively. And Dave Campo, 
um, who was the defense coordinator at the time, uh, sat down and went through all of Dick LeBeau's zone blitzes. And we started using those zone blitzes throughout the course of the rest of the season. And it allowed us to be better defensively and consequently win the Super Bowl against them. So, um, you know, he's always been the godfather of, of the zone blitz. He's, he's really the one that invented all these, all these things. And now you see it everywhere in football. And now back to my conversation with Dick LeBeau. Uh, with Dick LeBeau of the Tennessee Titans. Just two more things, Dick. I, I wonder, you will take the field or, or you will go to the stadium uh, against the Oakland Raiders, and uh, it'll be the day after your birthday where you turn 80 years old. And will it have any significance to you that you will be 80 years old and being calling the plays in an NFL game? No. No, I never think about it. Uh, I'm just a football coach and uh, going to try to do my job, and uh, I never think of stuff like that. I, I never think about it. And do you have, I assume over the years, people have said to you, so what's your secret? How have you stayed young? How have you stayed young? You look like you're 55, not 79 right now. Well... The secret for keeping my job to be able to work this long is I've had some wonderful, wonderful, good players that you you've already mentioned a few of them. But I mean, I could name a, a ton of them that that have played well for me and kept me working. And uh, uh, I have uh, great genes. My my mom was ninety six. My dad was eighty eight. My dad's sisters all got way into their nineties. LeBeaux's are hard to get off the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Dick, there are so many people in football now. You got Tom Brady, who played one of the best games of his life at 39. You know, came back from a 25-point deficit to win the Super Bowl. Bill Belichick's now 65. Does anybody doubt he could coach another 10, 15 years? Um, You know, Bruce Arians, Pete Carroll... um, players playing Adam Vinatieri is going to be 45 and I wonder what is it about this era of football if anything that you believe if you've even given it five minutes of thought why are people coaching and playing so much longer than they used to well I haven't given any thought but I do think uh, you know societally we uh, you know we're getting a, a better understanding that knowledge is a good thing. Experience is a good thing. Uh, let's face it, the corporations have known it for a long, long time. And uh, uh, there's, there should be no parameter, really, just, just uh, you know, uh, chronological age and physiological age are two different things. And uh, uh, a lot of people uh, can stay very active uh, longer. Uh, I think... Uh, you know, modern science, uh, the medicine, and it's all contributes to the fact that we're living longer and uh, the athletes are getting stronger, and uh, that's the way it's going to be. But uh, I guess I've just been blessed enough and lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time to keep my job every now and then, not all the time. Yeah. Should America not 
be as age-conscious as sometimes it is? Should America not have a mandatory retirement age at some jobs? Well, I think there are other societies that, that uh, you know, revere uh, experience more than ours. But at uh, uh, same time... <laughs> You better be a little careful getting out there in, in that business world. It's pretty competitive. So uh, I, I think I think it's really uh, you're asking for an opinion. Uh, I don't think age should be too much in the equation. It, it's you know what? How much productivity do you have? So you're not. You don't sit around thinking. Well, boy, I'm still doing this and I'm 80. I wonder how much longer I can do it. You just do it. I think that's an accurate statement. I I think I would be less than honest if I, you know, you have to be fairly pragmatic. I, I know you nobody does anything forever. And uh but uh I still enjoy it. I'm sure if I wasn't here I'd be doing something in and around the game of football. I wouldn't be sitting at home. I know I'd be active. Uh, so why not teach while you can? And uh, this is, for me, this is the perfect classroom. Do you ever forget where you put your car keys? Do you ever have those little, what some people over the years have called senior moments and, and just gotten forgetful or no? Oh hell yes! But I just, I did that when I was twenty five years old. I mean, I, I watch my son; he's thirty eight. He does the same thing. I I kind of give myself a pink slip on that. Now I think there's a if you look over on my desk right there, you'll see a lot of little note tabs and stuff like that. I don't trust myself to, to remember where the car keys are. I write down there where they, where I put them. Dick LeBeau, um, I'm just going to end by telling uh, America and, and the world, really, uh, the one thing about this offseason that I find fairly remarkable. You shot the best round of golf of your life at age 79. Can you tell me what happened, what that day was like for you? Where were you? Yeah, well, it was it was a tie for the best uh, score I'd ever had, and, and really the best score I'd ever had at a really uh, – a good tough golf course was 66 at uh, Forest Creek, and that's that's in uh, Southern Pines, North Carolina. And this was uh, the Elks Club, uh, where my dad and I used to play uh, in in Southern Pines. And it's kind of remarkable that they would happen both in the same city. But I thought I thought those days were long gone. But I can tell you exactly what happened when I hit it; it went straight, and when I putted it, it went in. It was, <laughs> it was just one of those days. 65 or 66? It was 66. I think I said 65 to you, but right. it was 66. Don't you find that just a little bit amazing that you're able to shoot a 66 at this point in your life? You know, when I, when I was hitting the, hitting the shots, I thought, well, you know, this is kind of like I used to play golf. And uh, I, I, I still have some good scores, you know. And uh, for me, uh, 72, 71 is a wonderful score. I just thought probably sneaking on down into those 60s a little bit was pretty much a, a, a bygone thing. And yet there I was shooting 31 on the front, and uh, uh, I sure wasn't going to give any of the shots back. <laughs> I said, I got them, I did them. And I was playing with uh, 
with my good friend Andy Page, who, who uh, has been a golf professional for 55 years. And uh, uh, so I, I had it attested, so I was sure going to take credit for it. Dick LeBeau, uh, I think one day they'll probably make a movie about you and call it, call it It's a Wonderful Life because you've had a pretty wonderful life, and I've appreciated the chance to get to know you and to be able to milk you for a lot of information over the years, and I wish you the best here at, uh, at age 80 as the defensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. Well, we'll hopefully still be alive and kicking, and uh, we have to go through some copyright uh, laws, I think, on that. It's a wonderful life. It's been done, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Dick, thank you very much. Uh, it's been pleasant. Thanks to my guest, Dick LeBeau. If you enjoyed this conversation, and I sure did, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Adam Schefter, and Drew Brees. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their excellent production work. And I'll see you with an NFL season preview spectacular next week. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.